today's show, I speak with TJ Sasmo to answer the question, is AI racist? TJ is, a, is trained in computational data analytics. Should be a good conversation. Let's listen. Hey, Frizzell. Uh, I am TJ Sizemore. I don't know what else you want. <laughs> that works. Okay. Um, so, where do we start? Um, well, it's been a while. How you doing? <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm doing well. How about you? Yeah, I'm doing good. Things are good here in Boston. Eating baked beans. And drinking some water. <laughs> That's terrible. It's a terrible accent. I know. I'm sorry. You're doing it so wrong. We're not. We're not starting off. Starting off very well here. That's what post production's for. Okay. <laughs> so, I never really thought about this question of of bias and AI or machine learning. Mm-hmm. I, I'd seen like um, news stories about it, like a few years ago. Google Photos was labeling black people as apes. And I was like, huh, that's curious. Yeah. Um, but for some reason, I never actually thought it'd be much of a problem. How, 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 how wrong am I? No, I mean, you're dead. You're so wrong. Like that's, <laughs> I think, and um, that's part of the um, problem that, I mean, I, before I went to school and, really started to get into this this field, this area, I didn't know either. I didn't understand it. I didn't understand how big of an issue it was. Um, but then also I didn't understand how how uh, wide the breadth of it was, like what, how many industries it was impacting. I mean, you brought up images, but this is across all different kinds of industries and making decisions for all kinds of groups of people. And it's it has... A, over the years and continues to have a big impact on um, opportunities that people have that they have access to. And I think it's something that has opened my eyes to who's actually um, watching this, who's actually putting um, accountability on, on these algorithms that are being used every day. Well, let's start by understanding what we're talking about. What, what is AI and machine learning? Yeah, so um, there's actually, like, we, we say AI, um, artificial intelligence, and machine learning. Um, and then this other term, which you talked about in a previous podcast um, with algorithms, um, especially in the Facebook field. Uh, but those, those three are kind of used interchangeably, and they shouldn't be, and they, they are different. Um, so very at a very basic level, you have your algorithms, which is like the code written uh, to take an action. Um, and then that's all part of AI, um, AI and machine learning. So machine learning and, and artificial intelligence consist of algorithms that perform a task. Uh, the difference between kind of artificial intelligence and machine learning is really the... Um, uh, so think of like artificial intelligence as, as like the the body, um, and machine learning as like the brain. Um, that might be a very gen, gen, a high level general way to talk about it. But 
um, AI is is in a in a sense the um, uh, I'm trying to it's it's like they're different, but it's still kind of hard to distinguish or to t- kind of explain how different it is. Um, but you can think of artificial intelligence as as like um, it it makes a it does what it's told to do. So you do an artificial intelligence to perform a task. Okay. You use machine learning to make a decision. So artificial intelligence has kind of been around for a long time. Um, You can think of it as the robots that have taken over the jobs. Um, More of that kind of um, uh, what's that? I love Lucy thing um, with the conveyor belt. Um, that type of production where they're replacing people with machines that automate that process that can do more faster with higher quality. Um, and you can kind of think of AI as that type of um, behavior. And the machine learning is more of a, it can make a decision with data um, that we kind of call unstructured data. And it pulls in, it's not in a table format. It's not really easy for a um, the eyes to look at and pulled conclusions from, um, but it can like you can think of machine learning as a as a auto, as a car driving by itself. It it analyzes you know billions of pixels around itself, and it tries to put those pixels together to to decide what is this thing in front of me. Do I need to stop or do I need to do some type of behavior based off of what I'm um, seeing um, in front of me? So. That's kind of how you can think about machine learning and artificial intelligence. So it's kind of like teaching a a, a baby to speak. Yes. Um, it's in the sense of the, the baby's not going to say anything, but um, you're going to continue to feed algorithms to the baby. So the artificial intelligence is gaga, 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 gaga. Um, and so that's something that can, you know, you, you try to, to, to help develop into more of a speech pattern. And then eventually, um, as you feed more algorithms, more sophisticated um, intelligence to the baby, the baby will start to um, use a machine learning component where it starts to learn, hey, I can form these words and, um, you know, I can say mom um, or dada. And then these are words that we begin to recognize and understand. Um, so it's kind of in the same way if if um, if David Duke raises a, your son, he's probably going to come out a little, <laughs> a little bit racist. Well, yeah, and that's the problem is that these tools are being created in these types of environments. And it really is um, dependent on who's creating it and who's feeding the uh, the baby algorithms. I think it's uh, that's that is part of the problem that we're seeing and. This whole, um, it's interesting you use the word bias because that, I mean, that's what we're kind of seeing as the PR version of this uh, is that anytime you see commercial or, you know, like you said, uh, you'll hear a news article or read a news article, um, they mention like this, this bias in um, these decision-making algorithms. But really it comes down to uh, like a, a fundamental racism in our society that, uh, you know, a lot of this stuff we're we're teaching the machines or the um, the models, as we call them, um, to to perform, is based off historical data, historical information, and we are messed up people. Like we have a terrible history, and so we're pulling all this information from our past 
and we're using it to feed this model so it can make decisions um, based off of things that we've, you know, we've already said, this is not how we want to, you know, live as a society. This is not how we want to perform um, or make decisions based off of these types of behaviors. Well, right now, what are some of the ways in which, um, like, in the, in the more benign form, what are some of the ways in which AI and machine learning are uh, kind of touching our lives, impacting just regular people's lives? Yeah, I mean, let's take a step back for sure. And I think there's some, like, people experience this almost every day, especially if you have a smart device or you're on a laptop or computer, um, or even if you're watching TV on a smart TV, like with Netflix, or doing some type of streaming. Um, it impacts people on a daily basis to where uh, if you, like this, let's start with from a news source standpoint, and you brought this up um, in a previous podcast with the news, people use Facebook and Twitter as a source of information for how they get their news. And so if they see something that's um, uh, interesting and they click that article, as soon as that click, they click that article, they're tell, they're, they are telling Facebook, they are telling Twitter, uh, this is interesting to me. I want if you send me more information that's like this or that's similar to this topic, I will continue to click. And that's what Facebook and Twitter want you to do. They want you to click on more things. That's how they get revenue. That's how they get money. Um, so they feed like that information back to you um, depending on what you find interesting or what you tell them is interesting. And this kind of leads to that, that, that loop, that circle uh, where it's like, hey, I've, I've liked this, but instead of Facebook telling me like a different view, they're going to tell me similar views and I get caught in this um, kind of circle. And then you can, same thing with like um, kind of a less scarier scenario is Netflix where, you know, I don't know about you, but I'll turn on Netflix and I'll sit there and I'll just scroll through it for 20, 30 minutes. It drives my family nuts um, because I just want to know like, what do they, what do they say is, uh, am I going to like, what am I going to enjoy based off of what I watched? And even to the point where, like, we have my daughter has her own station. She's 11. But if she watches something on our station instead, if she clicks my username and goes into our account and watches, like, Barbie, I don't know, whatever, um, I'll start to see stuff similar to that. Like, all of a sudden, I'll see um, more Barbie episodes in my recommended thing. So I know, oh, I guess, I guess she's been in here. I guess she's watched an episode of something. Um, so a lot of that, like, a lot of the activity we do within these types of environments, the behaviors we tell um, these companies, Hey, I watched this movie. Um, You know, I liked it. You you can review it. You cannot review it. They just assume if you click it, you're going to watch something else similar to it. Um, So it's kind of that I tell you what I like and you tell me what you think I'm going to like type scenario that, that we kind of experience on a daily basis. That that reminds me of this patent walk. Patton Oswald joke uh, that he had a few years ago about Netflix. And he was said he was flipping through. And he started noticing like you know Queer Eye for the for the straight guy and HGTV, and he was like, "Oh no, Netflix thinks I'm gay." <laughs> and that's and that's what like that's and I mean I, not to jump ahead, but that's systematically the problem is where we use AI to say um, here is. You know, if this person likes this, then that. And that's not necessarily dangerous. It's just it's just assuming you like a certain thing based off of something else you liked before in the past. Where machine learning kind of takes that a step further. And machine learning says, hey, you like this stuff. There's this group of people over here that also kind of like the same things you do. 
but this is some other stuff they like that you might like. And so it tends to kind of group people into this segment and start to make decisions based off of a population instead of an individual. And that's kind of where it gets real scary and gets real dangerous as far as um, isolating certain groups of people and saying, okay, because you're in this group, you're going to, you're going to be shown this kind of stuff. And um, I think that is where we can get into that, that black hole of um, this, this machine learning um, uh, behavior. Mm -hmm. When people have mentioned that, about YouTube and Facebook is has been all over the news recently about people kind of getting into these these uh, filter bubbles and um, mm -hmm. instead of um, having their beliefs kind of challenged or enriched, they're just constantly reinforced. So you get you get people right. who you get people who might not be as hard left or hard right, but as they experience this 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 regurgitation of the same ideas, they become more entrenched. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I mean, that's, um, that's okay. from a certain, if you're kind of looking back on it and you see, okay, uh, I, if I shop at REI and I, you know, I'm interested in buying a kayak or whatever it is, I'm going to fall into this group of other white dudes that, you know, go outdoors and like to hike and, um, you know, you know, wear sun shirts, whatever. And so I'll start to kind of get information based off what I am in that group. And I'll probably find a lot of that information relevant because that's where I am in my life. Um, the problem is, is that people outside of that, um, that want to manipulate that group of people are very smart and they can create things or make things look like what they are, but they're not. And they'll infiltrate that segment. They'll infiltrate that group. And we've seen that, I mean, not to get too deep in the weeds, but I think everyone kind of can relate to that. The Russia um, um, hacking of our election, um, feeding that information to this group of people saying, uh, you know, this is going to, you know, ruin your country. You've got to pay attention to this. And they infiltrate this group of people that they feel like they can manipulate using that information. And they are so good at sing singling out those people because once they get into that group, those people start to share their ideas. And when they start to share their ideas, they start to bring more people into this group. And then it just starts to grow and grow and grow until it becomes this, um, this segment that's so out of control and so like um, lost in, in um, like they're just so unfocused from the, what's really going on um, that it, it can kind of be scary in a way. Mm -hmm. uh, you talked about, um, how this can have an impact on the job market and, and people's careers. Say, yeah. say more about that. So um, you can kind of think of this as a filtering system. And, you know, the biggest thing for me is, uh, you know, where I'm at today, I know a lot, of all pretty much all of it. It's not, you know, some people's like how much, um, how much luck has played into your, um, you know, where you are right now and how successful you are and all that stuff. And it's luck is maybe a small part of it but it's opportunity. It's me being, me being in a position where I have the opportunity to take that I can take advantage of it and I can move up and I can um, be successful and I can decide, okay, I want to change my career. I want to move into this other world. Um, I've had the opportunity to do so. And when we start to kind of put this filter on that, um, what we do is we 
we tend to like filter out opportunities to people. And the example you're talking about, which um, is the hiring process, where you know HR companies they or HR um, HR teams within a company can receive thousands and thousands of applications uh, for one job position. And so it's it's almost impossible to kind of go through it and figure out who's the best candidates here. So what some companies have started doing is they'll bring in this kind of machine learning type approach where they're going to read the text. They're going to they're going to have a, a crawler. They're going to write some code to go through, read the text of the application or of the resumes, find keywords that that kind of point back to the job description, and they're going to set they're going to kind of use some his, history historical data within their company saying, okay, people in this role who are successful based off whatever, you know, they can say, they can put whatever premise is defined success for them. But people in this role who are successful kind of look like this. So find people in the application pool who would fit that, that we feel would be successful in this role um, and potentially stay longer. So it's not, you know, a quick turnaround. They have to kind of go through this process again. The problem is, is that, you know, especially what we're seeing now is a majority of companies it's male. It's white. Um, you know, there's certain criteria that's met. Um, they have a certain level of education. Um, they it's it's they have a certain specific skill that they've kind of developed over the years. Um, they've had an opportunity to lead teams to be a manager, and so they they tend to say this is the group of people that's going to be successful in this role. And, and when they they're basically describing themselves. Right. Exactly. They're they're describing themselves, and they're saying, okay, now show me the applications. And they'll get 30 applications and they're like, okay, this is so much better. Um, and they'll go through it. And, the, and what they end up having is 30 people that look like them, that talk like them, that come into the, that come into the um, interviews. And that's not, um, that's not okay. Like that doesn't help from a diversification standpoint that companies are like, we need to diversify. Um, that's not um, a, a credible way to kind of reach out to other people. Um, other people that don't look like you, that don't talk like you, that don't think like you, um, because those are the type of types of ideas um, that can really challenge a business and help it move forward. But ML is, is kind of a way blinding us to that. Mm-hmm. When you also talked about there might be an influence of AI machine learning on also keeping the job once you have it. Mm-hmm. What, what does that look like? I, I hadn't even considered that. Yeah, I mean, it's, it depends on the industry, but um, I've I've been through one layoff where I've actually been put into this um, group of people that was laid off, and then uh, I went through another set around of layoffs recently. Um, and so, from a layoff standpoint, you know, a lot of it comes from, especially if you're looking at thousands and thousands of positions, or if you're looking, you know, we need to lay off forty um, percent, not forty. If we need to lay off fifteen percent of our workforce. Um, in order to re- remain sustainable, what's the best approach for that? And so people tend to say, well, this we can use an unbiased um, code to kind of just tell us who we need to get rid of in order to, you know, to, to prosper in the future. Understanding that yeah, it's, probably, it's not going to be an easy decision, but if we can remove ourselves from it, we can say, well, it's not our fault. You know, it's, we didn't choose you. The, the algorithm chose you. So that's kind of where that's the discussion we're having now. Um, but, and they're, but, but they're the ones giving it the data. The exactly. Data set. Yep. Uh, and that's the problem is that they're telling the, they're, they're telling machine learning, this is, you know, this is what we're looking for. 
Um, so give us the people that we need to get rid of in order to make to to find this de- definition of success. To find this definition of success, um, so they're f- absolutely 100% feeding it. But there is that scapegoat, and, and that's the problem: is people aren't they don't understand the process or what happens in this. So they tend to be like, um, well, then who can I, who do I blame? Cause they want to point the blame at someone, but you're saying I can't blame you because, you know, some third party came in and wrote this algorithm, which says I'm in this pool and I need to go. And the other piece, I mean, more specific was, um, I believe it was in New York when they were letting go of teachers and they were looking at um, evaluating, they needed to get, they needed to fire a certain amount of teachers and so instead of going through each school and letting the schools kind of decide who was going to be let go, they gave a score to all the teachers. Um, and they said, if you're below this score, you're, you're out. Uh, and there were teachers that, you know, probably have been there for two years. Um, but, and their students, you know, were, you were thriving, they were doing well, but their scores weren't that high. Um, they were still kind of working on that development point. But they were really good teachers, you know, and, and they had they were let go because it was just a score. It was a number. They fell in this range and they're gone. Um, and they were kind of lost with what, you know, they couldn't get a job because the system recognized them as a poor um, as a poor teacher. So those those are types of decisions we tend to just kind of push off and say, make it for me because it's a hard decision. I don't want to get blamed for if it comes back on me. We'll be back with more from TJ after the break. And another area where uh, machine learning and AI is being used is the criminal justice system, which I only learned this recently, I think from NPR, in terms of who gets parole. Yeah. And that is some real minority report type stuff, if you ask me. It's terrible. And it's it's something that's been, I mean, I found an article in Wired from 2000, um, I think it was like 2007. Um, it's 2008, and this is stuff that's been going on for years. Um, that they're just the the justice system is using. Um, again, it's always a third party. You know, it's not right. the the city saying oh, we're going to hire data scientists. It's let's hire this consultant to come in and build this program. Um, and so they'll hire a third party to come in. And the problem with the third party is they don't understand the system. First of all, they don't understand the justice system. Um, they just understand how to write the code to pull information in. Uh, and so what happens is they, they look at historical data. And if there is any data in the past that we should not be like <laughs> relying on, it is the justice system historical data. I mean, that is um, in itself just ignorant to just look at that and say, based off of the past um, convictions that we've had, this is where you fall in this category. Um, and it's, it can, it can deliver such different results based off of, you know, what neighborhood you live in or, uh, what education you have. Um, and the problem is, is a lot of these poor neighborhoods are majority black, um, citizens that live in these neighborhoods and they have, um, they have limited access, uh, or opportunity, access to opportunity. And a lot of that is driving that information to the justice system saying, well, because you dropped out of high school, uh, because, you know, you don't have a job or uh, whatever this, the case is, you're more likely to fall back into the crime. So we're going to give you 
you know, 10, 10 years and, and I'm making this up. We were going to give you 10 years. And then there's a white guy who, you know, went to college. Um, he, you know, he has an education, he had a job, you know, he just, it was, maybe it's his first offense. It could be a second offense, but he'll get a lighter sentence because of the opportunities he's had. And he falls into a group that's less likely to fall back into crime. Mm-hmm. When the, the, the scariest part to me is that it's a black box. If you're, mm-hmm. If you find yourself on the receiving end of one of these uh, uh, sentences or or parole hearings, you can't look at the data mm-hmm. because the the third party company says, "Well, this is proprietary, right. and we don't want to offer a competitive edge to our competitors." Yeah, and that in, in a system that is supposed to be about justice, where you can face your accuser and see the evidence they have against you, that's insane. Yeah, transparency has got to be, um, like, priority number one there. The person that's being, um, you know, that's getting the judgment on them should know what criteria are you putting on me that's making this decision on your behalf. I should know that. You know, I should know what um, what's causing that. And that's something that, unfortunately, because we live in a capitalistic society, people have to hold their secrets in because if they keep it a secret, they can continue to profit from it. They can continue to make money from it. If they share it as an open source, they, they lose that control. Um, mm-hmm. Kathy O'Neill, she wrote a book called Weapons of Math, M-A-T-H, Destruction. And um, it's, it's a book that kind of got me into this world where I started to see a lot of this stuff. Um, and so I would highly recommend it if anyone's listening, you know, not if anyone, if any, if anyone listening is interested in reading more about it, that's a book I would tell them to go to, to start with, um, is weapons of math destruction, but it's, she makes a point in there where, um, you know, anybody that's seen the movie Moneyball, where we use statistics and baseball to find out what's the lowest amount of money we can pay for a team that's going to deliver the best results for us. Um, the Oakland A's started, you know, started to use it to, uh, because they didn't have as much money as like the Boston Red Sox, so they had to really use that money to, um, to the best they could. The problem, the, the difference between that and like a, a, you know, a justice system is that we have access to all the stats of each player. We know exactly how they're performing. We know, um, you know, we know what they can, what they've done in the past. And what the value of them is today, based off of their performance from each game, and all that is open, and all that it's just it's just using math. It's just using math to pull that in and say, you know, what team is going to is going to um, give us the best result, and that's you know that's not a secret. Everyone knows there might be teams that just say, well, in our in our scenario, um, you know, people that hit home runs are going to actually be weighted less than people that get on base more, um, and that's. That's just a decision made within each clubhouse, but the overall um, the overall program is is open. Everyone knows it. Everyone understands it. That works in that area, and that's it's different for that like the justice system where it is closed. It is a black box, and that's nuts. So yeah. you, you're telling me that a professional baseball player uh, has more rights to information. Than- <laughs> Than, than no, American citizens. I wouldn't say rights. I would say they have more access to their information. Well, right, but you can you can you can think of it in terms of rights. Yeah, sure. And I think that comes back to accountability. Is well, then who's holding them accountable to it? Um, and 
right now, you know, the public doesn't really understand what the impact of this is. So there's no real public outcry. We see it in the media a lot. Uh, we see people writing books about it. Uh, but there's no like, you know, people aren't storming the streets saying we need to um, say nay to, I don't know, I can't think of a good chant for it. But <laughs> <laughs> I, it's like there's no public outcry because it's not, it's one, it's not impacting, um, it's not impacting them. And two, it's, it's, if it is, they probably don't really understand like what to get mad at or what to hold accountable. So right now, everyone's talking about privacy and security. There's tons of hearings on, on Capitol Hill. Is this the next thing that we might wake up one day and, and realize how bad it is? It is, but I, I think um, privacy and security is a part of that. Um, you know, companies can't make decisions if they don't have the information. And right now, if we're on Facebook, if we're on Twitter, we're giving, or if we're on Instagram, we're giving them so much information. Um, you know, I, I work in a retail um, on, on the e-commerce side, and, you know, we have Facebook tags within our website. All, all websites do. You go to any store. And I'm sure anybody that's listening has have has had this experience. Well, they'll go to some store, um, they'll click on a product, they'll look at a product, they might add it back to the cart, they might not, they just keep going. But then they decide, well, I'm going to go to Facebook and check my posts and see how how the world's doing. Let's get my news, and they'll go to Facebook, and they'll pop it up, and all of a sudden they'll see an ad for the product they were just looking at like four minutes ago, right. and all that's done because those companies share that information with Facebook and Facebook keeps it. Like they take all this information and they store it and they use it to drive these ads to get you to go back to shop because that's where they make their money. Um, so if, if you're, uh, you know, if, if you're going to a site and you're looking at stuff and you're, you know, trying to shop for stuff, all that's being fed to Facebook Regardless or not, if you have a Facebook account or not, it's being fed to Facebook. The activity that's happening on these on these websites. Well, a lot of people don't realize that uh, it doesn't matter if, if you have an account. It doesn't matter if it's online or offline. The the data is being circulated, bought mm -hmm. and sold all over the place. Yeah. And so it, Facebook's not listening to you on your phone, Mike, but they are watching you when you shop. You. Yeah. And when you and when you travel. Mm-hmm. And there's some tools out there that are starting to become more prevalent. There's a new browser. It's called Brave, B-R-A-V-E. It's shaped like a lion head. Um, mm -hmm. Basically, they they what they do is they try to block a lot of these third-party um, um, calls to uh, a certain website. So if you go if you go shopping, it tries to block those, and then also it tries to block from an ad standpoint if if it's feeding ads to a site. Um, there's there's a bit of difficulty in that though because yeah. if you're too aggressive you'll it'll just end up breaking the internet yeah or if you're if you're too um kind of uh, lenient like uh safari used to have this uh pre prevent cross-site tracking uh setting in in it and uh, apple eventually just got rid of it because uh, companies weren't honoring the <laughs> the the, the non-cross-site track, uh, cross tracking. So 
they took it away because it wasn't working. So it's, it's difficult. It's, it's difficult to do this kind of thing. I, I even had, I downloaded a um, kind of a, a truth uh, uh, extension onto my browser that would, that would kind of see what I'm reading and, and, and kind of fact check it for me. Mm. So I look at their terms, terms of service and realize that they require access, not just to, you know, things in, in my browser, but everything. Yeah. And you so, have to, you have to read the fine print to understand that. And then once you, if you do read the fine print and you do understand it, you have to accept it if you want to use the, the tool or not. Right. There's, there's no opt out of just this part of it is right. all or nothing. Right. So, which is, yeah, I mean, again, that's kind of a separate, like, I, I think the privacy and security is part of what we're providing um, information to these algorithms to help it make decisions on our behalf. Um, so I, I, I think it's good that there's a certain, that part's coming out where like, hey, we need to be, we want a free private internet, but what does that mean? Um, but at the same time, like, a lot of this is happening based off of information that's already happened. And so we can't go back and um, stop that from happening. People are just pulling this historical data and using it to make these decisions for future outcomes. Yeah. TJ, I think your mic is scratching a little bit. So be careful. Oh, my bad. No, it's cool. Okay. Uh, last question. So TJ. It's for Zao. How, how do we fix it? <laughs> That's. <laughs> oh, man. I wish I, wish I had an answer to that. Um because it's going to take a lot of time. I mean, the first part is awareness. Like we have to build, and that's part of the reason why I'm excited to talk to you about this because, you know, once I became aware of this, I felt like other people needed to understand this. So awareness is the big, big piece of it is we need to understand what it's affecting, um, how it's affecting it. And what does that mean? Not just for us, but in general for the human population, because it can, it can not impact you know, me personally, but uh, it can impact, you know, people around me that have human rights that have, um, you know, have a obligate, the companies have an obligation to, to protect that human right. Um, and that's something that's not happening right now. Well, and if our, if our so-called free and fair government is doing such a poor job with it, what do we think is going to happen when an, uh, uh, a tyrant or uh, uh, author authoritarian government gets hold of of this kind of uh, technology. Yeah, and that's scary. I mean, that's super scary. Is that we're already kind of seeing a president that's pushing us, um, you know, beyond what we've kind of identified as social norms to a more aggressive, um, judgmental, um, you know, isolated. Uh, where we're taking these groups of people and we're branding them a certain way, and so already mentally, if we're telling society this is what this means, that gives um, more like credibility to these algorithms that are doing it automatically. Um, and so that's a very scary place to be, uh, where we have some people in power that that create that divide. And algorithms aren't uh, elected. We don't we don't choose yeah. them. So. Yeah, we build them, but we don't choose them. Um, no, but the other piece to it, which kind of back to your last question, um, how it can be fixed too, is we can give opportunities to people, um, you know, in that 
that don't understand this as a job, that don't understand this as a career opportunity. Um, give, you know, let, give, go into these neighborhoods that, um, you know, might be of the lower income or have more of that minority population and give them an, um, give them the insight and the tools they need so that we can start to bring more people so into this field. So let's talk about coding and a little more talk about data science. Yeah. Um, I mean, data science is kind of a hot buzz. That's a term that's kind of um, companies are using right now to get um, people into their company to hire them. It's whether or not that's a, you know, that those are the people that uh, kind of write the code um, and build these models to make these decisions. If we can get more people, more data scientists that understand um, the people, you know, the groups of people that's impacting instead of a 20, 20 year old uh, MIT grad who has no world experience coming into a company, just writing a line of code um, to, to make that decision for them. Well, and may- maybe if you're, if you're going to pursue a, a, a degree in data science or a career in it, maybe you should have some prerequisites or a lot of them uh, in, in social science and psychology. Especially if you're going in that industry. I, I think that's a great idea. I mean, understanding like if, and especially if you're going to get a contract with, you know, a court system, you need to have that, uh, that expertise, that understanding, um, or at the very least you need to hire people within that field, within that industry. I mean, when I was at Georgia state, we were doing a project for a, um, a law firm where we would pull in, um, you know, results from a, a, from a case. And we would try to see, can we predict the outcome of a claim? Um, and how early could we predict it? You know, think of it like a 10 day forecast versus, you know, next day forecast. It's going to be, you're going to have a better chance of predicting the weather the day before versus 10 days out. Um, and that's kind of the same model we were using to identify this. And it's, um, we, we did this in connection with a law firm. We brought people from the industry. We brought law students at Georgia State into this project to, to work together to identify, you know, what, what is important here? What are we looking at? And if that, type of, um, con- if that type of collaboration is happening, I think that's a better result. But at the same time, the people writing the code need to understand the impact it's having on that industry. They need to understand the industry itself. TJ, thanks so much for being on the show. Yeah, thank you. Fa- this is fun. Fascinating conversation. Yeah, and this is this should not be over. Like, <laughs> I encourage anyone listening to this to go out and research this. Look up um, machine learning bias. Um, read that book. Um, you know, weapons of math destruction. Start to educate yourself because it's it's an important topic that can you know hopefully will get better. But if we don't start listening or start doing something about it, it's going to get worse. Thank you for listening. Please rate and review our show. And also, check us out on social media. Until next time, thanks for being a fan.